Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing, and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. Today, I'm speaking with Roberta Elliott. She's the president of the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. She's an activist, writer, and photographer. Since retiring five years ago from a lifetime of work as a communications professional in the Jewish community, she's devoted herself to volunteer work, primarily with refugees, both here and abroad. She was the lead member of a welcome team that resettled a family of Syrian refugees in South Orange, New Jersey, and has been to Europe three times since 2015 to work on the front lines of the refugee crisis. Her article, In Vienna with Syrian Refugees, was published in the winter 2015-2016 issue of Lilith Magazine and was awarded first prize for excellence in social justice writing by the Rockauer Competition for Excellence in Jewish Journalism. Splitting her time between South Orange and Tucson, Arizona, she's the founder of the Tucson chapter of the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. Hi, Roberta. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Felicia. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. So let's begin for, I'm sure many people are not aware, unfortunately, they will become aware, I'm sure, more of the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. Maybe you could focus on its mission and vision, that sort of thing. Sure. We are an organization of somewhere around 8,000 women across the United States and in Canada who are dedicated to getting to know each other, Muslim and Jewish women, to fighting hate and to promoting social justice projects. The theory of the sisterhood is that it is impossible to hate somebody that you are good friends with and that you learn all about and want to have contact with. I love that concept. And I do think that's fostering that uh, with any two groups that have have conflict. I think it's a wonderful sentiment. Of course, there's been centuries of Muslim and Jewish conflict and tension. Was there anything in particular that was the impetus for the establishment of the sisterhood? So first of all, I want to take issue with your statement that there's been centuries of Muslim-Jewish conflict. I don't view it that way. I believe that people are all subject to the leaders that they either choose or impose upon them, and that there has been possibly centuries of political struggle between Muslims and Jews or religious struggle 
but I don't believe that on the person to person level that that is a true statement. If I did believe that, I wouldn't be involved in the work that I'm in. And I also like to go back to Al Andalus, which was the period in Spain between 700 and 1100, when Muslims, Jews, and Christians all lived together in what would appear to be quite perfect harmony. I'm certain that nothing is perfect, so that may Mm -hmm. be an overstatement, but that they lived and worked together in harmony. I believe that that is possible. The Sisterhood was founded by Cheryl Olitsky, our beloved founder, co-founder, who retired this past week from the Sisterhood to pursue retirement and transition to the board of our Sisterhood, where she will be a lifetime member and more than welcome. Um, We are sorry to lose her as our executive director. She founded it in about 12 years ago after a impactful trip that she took to Europe and was at Auschwitz. And she was tremendously moved and distraught by what she saw at Auschwitz. I don't know Felicia, if you've ever been there, I've, I've been to Auschwitz twice. It is the embodiment of evil on this earth. It is impossible to leave the grounds of Auschwitz-Birkenau without being a changed person. She came back to the United States and she realized that at the time, the, the struggle that she was seeing was against Muslims, that there was a tremendous amount of Islamophobia. This, of course, was after 9-11. And mm-hmm. she thought about it carefully and she wanted to be a personal agent of preventing such hatred to occur in the future. So when thinking about it carefully, she realized that she didn't know any Muslims and that as a committed Jewish woman of both faith and someone who follows all the precepts in our texts on social justice, she wanted to establish an organization where she personally could meet some Muslim women and become Mm -hmm. friends with them. So like all great ideas, there was kind of a personal motivation behind it. She wanted to meet some Muslim women. And she had known the local imam from some contact through the public school system where her children and his children were enrolled. And she called him up and he put her in contact with Atiyah Aftab, Mm -hmm. And the rest is basically history because she and Atiyah co-founded it in 20. So so she thinks that I I actually just spoke to her this morning about some of this history. The first chapter was established about 11 years ago and in which would make that about 2010, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in November of uh, 2013, two more chapters were established. And in 2014, a 501c3 was approved for the sisterhood. In April of 2016, there were 25 chapters. By November, there were 50. And today we have about 180 chapters, as I said, in North America and one chapter in Berlin. So this was an idea that obviously came out of some careful some emotional reaction followed by some careful thought mm-hmm. that caught on. Thank There's so much there. <laughs> Thank you so much for really clarifying this maybe 
false notion that I suspect many people have about the centuries old conflict. We don't think about Spain in the you know eighteen uh, the eight hundreds or eighth uh, century, and you could sort of look at the sisterhood as almost a bubbling up a change. If it's the political structure, if it's our political leaders who are the ones feeding this conflict, that the sisterhood is really a way of bubbling up from the bottom to make changes that at some point, I I guess, our political leaders won't be able to trade in those fears that they're, they're making because the regular folks will understand and have friends in, you know, in different, especially Muslim friends. Does that sort of sound from your mouth to her ear? (laughs) May may it be so. Yes. Um, Yes. And it is indeed. I like the term you use bubbling up. It is indeed a grassroots organization. Mm -hmm. We our leadership bubbles up from the grassroots. And we think that that's a really good model. I also like the idea off. Didn't know that about Cheryl having gone. I think I did wish she had gone to Auschwitz, but that it was her view of what had happened to the Jews in World War II, seeing the same thing happening to, obviously not exterminationists, but those kind of prejudices toward Muslims now as new refugees. I think that's very moving. I think that is a, a wonderful, as you said, to live the precepts of the Jewish teachings, but that that's what you want is someone to be able to put themselves in someone else's shoes. So I think that's exactly. a very interesting, interesting idea. Thank um, you. And, you. and you noted in your introduction to me that I have actually been to Europe three times to work with Syrian refugees. And that was before, curiously, that was before I became aware of and involved in the sisterhood. So I hadn't thought about it until this minute, but maybe it was kind of beshared. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but do tell us a little bit about your work with refugees. How did you come to it then? If this wasn't something that came out of the sisterhood, it was no, just... No, it did a- not come out of the sisterhood. So my background with refugees is a direct connection. My father was a refugee from Hitler. He fled uh, Vienna, Austria, um, five months after the Anschluss, after the invasion of German troops. and. Um, He got his entire family out, his sister and his parents, and they ended up in Lisbon after two years. He was in a in an alien camp in France. It's It's a long story. It's not particularly pertinent to what we're talking about, but he ended up in Lisbon and he ended up working for Hyas, the Jewish refugee agency. Uh Well, fast forward to 1989, and I went to work for Hyas. And I worked at Hyas twice in my lifetime, in 89 for a number of years, and then I went returned in 2008. So I have spent the bulk of my professional career working with refugees. I've been to East Africa, working with refugees there. And when I retired, I decided that I wanted to do it. I do some hands-on work. My work at highest was in communications. I was the VP for communications. And I didn't get to actually do hands-on work. So the first thing I did when I retired, which is actually seven years ago, not five years ago, but who's counting, and uh, was to get myself over to Europe. It was 2015. The refugee crisis had just started. It was October of 2015. I literally got on a plane to Vienna. I I knew that Vienna was one of the transit hubs 
that the refugees were using to get to Germany and to um, Scandinavia, to Northern Europe, where they were welcomed and taken better care of than anywhere in Eastern Europe. Uh And I got on a plane without really knowing what I was going to do. And I got out at the airport in Vienna and I went to the the, um, Airbnb that I had rented. And I walked into the train station the next day and I volunteered just like I had lived in Vienna my whole life. Uh And I worked for 10 days with refugees at the train stations, the two train stations in Vienna that was were accommodating them. The following summer, I went to Greece and I spent a week in a refugee camp about an hour and a half north of Athens. Uh And then another week in a what was known at the time as a squat. It was in Piraeus, which is the port city to Athens, um, where 2,000 Afghanis were sleeping on asphalt in tents. Uh-huh. And I worked there. And then the following year, I went back to Athens and worked in with a couple of different organizations in Athens to help the, the, the Syrians and the Afghanis and the others from the Middle East that were stuck in Athens because the European Union was not doing their job and not allowing them to come into countries. And then the following year, (laughs) the following year, I was asked in South Orange, which is where um, half of the year, there are three synagogues and three synagogues came together and decided that they wanted to sponsor a Syrian family in town. And I was knowing my background. I was asked by the committee that set this up to be the lead on the welcome team for the family that was coming into South Orange. And we worked with them for a year and a half. I'm very pleased to tell you that they are all gainfully employed and doing just beautifully. And they now live in Orange. They moved from South Orange to Orange. But so that's my very quick history of my interest in refugees. And um, it is directly related to my interest in the sisterhood where I can continue my passion for Jews and Muslims to get to know each other and to get along. I can also say that my other major interest is shared society in Israel. I'm very dedicated and devote most of my resources to making certain that Arab Israeli citizens of Israel are afforded the same treatment and the same benefits as Jewish Israeli resident citizens are. That's a wonderful uh, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> the, you are really living your values, unlike a lot of folks who talk a, a good game, but you're really, you're living it. I don't think you're going to run out of work. Unfortunately, I uh, it's going to probably, is a long-term project. And I do have to kind of chuckle when you say retirement, yeah. as, as if you're not working. You might not get being paid for it, but you, you definitely are working. That is correct. I'm not, I'm not being paid for it. That is for certain. And I'm definitely working. Thank yes. you. Yes. But it's it's one of those things that I, I believe uh, that sounds like speaking to you that it's that kind of work that it actually gives you energy. It doesn't necessarily their frustrations ob- must be many, many frustrations. But at the end of the day, it's got to be energizing. So let's go back to the sisterhood then. Anti-Muslim and anti-Jewish sentiment is quite high, certainly in this country. We're seeing the rise, of course, in Europe. You mentioned Germany, uh, Scandinavia accepting the Syrian refugees at first, but I understand that that's been changing. But what specifically efforts that the sisterhood, what efforts do they have to 
expand their work beyond the chapters. Because yes, they want to meet each other and have that, share those common bonds. But how are they pushing it outside of the chapter? Well, thank you for asking. So we have done every year, Cheryl, our founding director has done research projects to make certain that we are on track and that we are doing exactly what the membership wants to do. In the last couple of years, it has become clearer and clearer that the membership is very interested in doing serious advocacy work on behalf of various social justice projects. And we have just established for the first time a standing committee on our board for social justice. And underneath it, we have two very active groups right now. One is an immigration group. And the other group is a group that is devoting themselves to Muslims at risk around the world, specifically the Uyghurs in China and Muslims in India. We also are um, trying to get off the ground a couple of other action groups. One of them is racial justice, which we feel is an extremely important thing. If we are here to fight hate, we cannot hold our heads high unless we include racial injustice in that. And we actually have a number of African-American sisters in the sisterhood, both on the Muslim side and on the Jewish side. I've been doing a deep dive recently into Jews of color. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, I mean, this is very, very kind of a hidden fact to most of us Ashkenormative Jews, that somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of people in the United States who identify as Jewish are people of color, whether they be African-American or Asian or Latino, they are people of color. And they are have been until now nearly invisible in our community. And it is time to amplify their voices and elevate them. Mm-hmm. And so we are about to launch a racial justice committee on or a racial justice, we call them action groups underneath mm-hmm. our social justice larger committee. We also are have a new Israel-Palestine task force. For a number of years, the sisterhood avoided the subject of Israel-Palestine because God, that's it, a pretty touchy one, I imagine. It, it, it's it is and a, certainly it, even among Jews, it's very, very tough. Right. It, it's what we call a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. And when I say avoid, I think that I somewhat misstated that. The rules were that you have to be an active, engaged um, chapter for two years before you can approach that subject. Because the idea is, is that you have to be friends and you have to respect one another so that you can also respect one another's what most likely will be differing opinions. Mm -hmm. And you are absolutely correct. Probably the widest disparity of opinion is among the Jewish sisters. Yes. I mean, we have Jewish sisters at all ends of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the Jewish community doesn't necessarily agree with each other about its approach to Israel-Palestine. Yes, you have two Jews and you have three opinions. So Correct. It is what we actually formally call a difficult conversation. However, we feel that as an organization, we are no longer a founding, incipient um in show it organization, we are actually at kind of what's known in the among people who study these things as a mezzanine level organization. And we feel that we have matured enough 
so that we can really amplify the whole Israel-Palestine discussion. And we are, in fact, sometime in the next six to eight months, I'm understanding, are going to have a virtual trip to Israel-Palestine, which should be very interesting. We had a virtual trip this past fall to Mm -hmm. the South, a civil rights Mm -hmm. trip, a virtual Mm -hmm. civil rights trip to the South, which was extraordinarily interesting and which brought in women from across the country. That's which I'd like to actually for a second transition to that subject. So we've been a chapter-based organization for six or seven years in which people meet in other people's homes. Mm-hmm. And the chapters have been fairly closed because we had original ideas about how they should not have more than 15 to 20 people and at most a maximum of 10 Jewish women and 10 Muslim women always trying to seek parity between the two religions. Mm-hmm. And this has caused great frustration because there have been lists of, I mean, 2,000 people waiting to get into chapters. Well, I did want to talk to you at the end, but let's talk about it now. I, well, could not enter, find, enter, I could not get into a chapter in New Jersey. Okay, well, enter the pandemic mm-hmm. and enter Zoom into everybody's life. Mm-hmm. And I actually am one of the people who has not been complaining about the pandemic because I think that the blessings that the pandemic has shown all of us in how we can connect far exceed the difficulties that we've all had remaining in isolation. Because I think it actually Zoom and all the other platforms have broken the isolation. Mm-hmm. They've allowed us as a an organization to pivot to national programming and to allow anyone into the tent who wants to be in the tent. And I promise you that once we come out of this pandemic period, that we will be a hybrid organization. Oh, good. We will no longer have the framework of you either belong to a chapter, which you can't get into, or you don't belong (laughs) at all. Right. And so now we have what we're calling at least transitionally, we may come up with another name, we're calling community members. Mm -hmm. And these are women from across the country. To the staff's credit, we pivoted immediately upon learning that we were all going to be quarantined and locked down for many months. We pivoted immediately to Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we have had a minimum of two robust national programs in months that anybody that wants to join who is interested in our organization can join. Mm-hmm. So. I've participated in one of those and it was great. Wait, which one? The symposium you had in, was it October or November? A conference, our national conference. The conference. Yes. And what was so great about it, I could see the, the pros and cons, but I was meeting on, they had little rooms, meeting we women did. from across the country. We Ohio, did. Women exactly. Now, I could see in a local chapter that the women would have very common experiences. And maybe that's a good thing. But if you're part of a national chapter, you do hear different regional issues and perspectives that you might not have. So I'm a firm believer in this. I'm glad you're going to the hybrid model. You are absolutely correct about that. But all of our programs have been having breakout groups. Mm -hmm. And Breakout groups are the best way to meet people. And I mean, I have made friends in Madison, Wisconsin, and Eugene, Oregon. And it's 
which I don't get sitting in my chapter in South Orange or in Tucson. Mm -hmm. So I really do believe that that there are blessings in disguise in this period that we've been in. And it's helped us see how to expand in a way that really opens up the tent. Absolutely. It's going to be a much bigger tent. I I believe as we get more information out there, do you have to be that this, I guess, so far up till now, you've had to be either Jewish or Muslim because you wanted to have a balance. Is that it we are, we are sticking... Or? We are sticking with the binary nature of the organization. It is going to be Jewish and Muslim. There are other organizations that include all three Abrahamic religions, Mm -hmm. but this particular one is Jewish and Muslim. Okay. So when you talk about this, so women are meeting women of the, you know, Jewish women are meeting Muslim women and vice versa, and they're learning about each other's backgrounds and shared and all that kind of stuff. And they doing, you do have now outreach programs. Is that on an educational level? Is it on a political level? Are you reaching out to speak for, as you said, different groups? Did you reach out to political leaders? To well, we're changing. Um, or what is, is there real practical kinds of things like that? So we are new at this direction that we are taking of advocacy and fighting hate. I can tell you that the immigration group, which is our rock star of action groups, is going to be moving into advocating for certain legislation. They're very close to starting that, but we are, we're taking baby steps right now because the organization was for so many years, primarily a social organization in which people could just meet each other Mm-hmm. and fight hatred one Muslim woman and one Jewish woman at a time. But as I said, our research has shown that we want, it, we want to go to the next level, and that's what we're doing. And our immigration group has, has started down that path, and I think that people will be seeing some pretty exciting stuff coming out of them quite soon. Well, that I'll be looking for that, definitely. And there's another area where there'll be lots of work for, a, unfortunately, I think a long time. But let's bring it back down to the one Jewish woman, one Muslim woman at a time. Your website, the Sisterhood's website, I think is very interesting. Uh, I gather when you kind of get under the covers that Jewish women and Muslim women share a lot of the same values because it is an Abrahamic religion. There are some commonalities. But the fact that your website has a really robust section on the different religious holidays for the two mm-hmm. religions. Mm-hmm. And I am a to Judaism as a by choice. I'm converted to Judaism. And there's so much in there about the holidays that I didn't know. And well, I suspect a lot of my Jewish family great. and friends don't know either. Terrific. But I thought that was a wonderful thing to add Thank that you. in there. Thank you. And we also, one of the best ways to get to know somebody is to actually study text with them. Mm-hmm. There's a concept in Judaism called Chavruta, where two people study together and they read the texts and they bounce the ideas off of each other. And that happens at the chapter level. I'm not so certain that it ha- happens in a strict Chavruta style of actually reading the text. But I know recently we had a teaching in my chapter. I hear from people all the time that they have teachings 
And we also had last year for the first time, we had something called Ramadan Reflections, which was during the month of Ramadan, which, as you know, is the holiest month of the. Uh, I was on some of those too, but yes. Of the Muslim, yeah. good, of the Muslim mm-hmm. calendar. And um, Jewish women were on that Ramadan Reflections almost to the degree that uh, Muslim women were, because we have this huge thirst to learn about Islam. And this year, I'm really pleased to tell you that um, my vice president, a woman named Nasli Chowdhury, was the leader of that last year. And this year, she has expanded it to call it Ramadan and Passover Reflections because they're um, fairly... Um, going to be close to each other, adjacent. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They, they're overlapping Laughing. this year. There's, there's another word for it that I can't think of, oh, but they're oh, overlapping. or... Right, right. Yeah. They're coinciding. coinciding. That's coinciding. the word. That's a good English word. It's <laughs> coinciding. Yeah. They're pretty much coinciding this year. So, yes. And I really do think that that is one of the best. And I think that the emphasis on the website is such because we all feel that one of the best ways to get to know each other is to understand one another's religion and one another's customs. Uh, not just religion, but food mm-hmm. customs and, and eating well, habits. And, well, you do have, but some on that similar vein, you do have a section on etiquette, on what to do when entering a Muslim home, for instance. Correct. Correct. These are things that, similarly to the holidays, I'm curious, but if I don't have a, a Muslim friend, uh, and even if I did, how would I ask that? So right. it, is yeah. wonder, it is wonderful to, to be able to see that. And because those are things you would want to know if you're more sensitive. Right. And I, and I took those very seriously um, the first time I had a meeting at my house in, here in Tucson. And I told everybody, I told all the Jewish sisters when they walked into the door that they must take their shoes off because that is a sign of respect. And the Muslim sisters showed up and, no, and all refused to a person to take their shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Uh-huh. I, I don't mean to be light about it, but you know, everything in this world is fluid. Absolutely. And, um, and that I found that to be amusing. But yes, we really try to show the utmost of respect to each other. We don't ever schedule meetings during Juma prayer on Fridays. Mm-hmm. The Muslim sisters refrain from sending email messages and otherwise to the Jewish sisters from Friday night until Saturday night during Shabbat. We take very seriously into consideration putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. Well, if everybody lived by that rule that you could never be too respectful, the world would be vastly different. (laughs) So now that you are going to be this hybrid organization where you're going to be able to, because of Zoom, have chapters that are ma- that are not going to be necessarily regional. How do you grow new chapters? Is it women hear about this group from a friend and they organically want to start an organization? Is there outreach well, I mean, to I do think that? I, or how do, you, how do you start new chapters? It, the sisterhood has always primarily been News of it has primarily been transmitted by word of mouth. You know, when you're a small, lean organization, there's no advertising budget. There's nothing like that. So the fact that we've grown to 180 chapters around the country by word of mouth shows what a thirst there is for something like this. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it remains to be seen what kind of a world emerges from this pandemic. I mean, hopefully we are all going to see that by yes. fall. It's then it's not going to be what it used to be. That's the right. But, uh, you know, if what has been in the past is somebody has heard about the sisterhood and wants to start a chapter and they contact us and we certainly have abundant resources, not just in the website, but in, we have several staff members who are very highly trained and highly skilled in helping people set up chapters. So if it turns out in the real world post-pandemic, people want to set up in-person case face-to-face chapters, then by all means, they should be contacting us. Well, and I'm going to put the link to the website on the Help Me to Understand website. One more thing before we go, because this has been fascinating and we're really going along here. You have started to focus on youth and how do you involve them? And now that there's so many kids, unfortunately, at home, homeschooling, tell us a little bit about why the sisterhood is now focused on the youth. Well, we are focused on teens because they're our future without any question. (laughs) The earlier you get to people and give them different models for how to live their life, the better off you are and the better chance you have of them adopting them. So we do now have 16 chapters of teens in places like Sacramento, Seattle, Memphis, Houston, Manhattan, Phoenix. I could keep going. They operate independently from each other with the Jewish and independent from the adult women. Independent from the adult, but not independent from the um, from from the overall organization. In other words, they are not the children of an adult chapter. They are their own an independent chapter with their own integrity. They each of them, just like the adult chapters, has a Jewish and a Muslim co leader. And they basically work, uh, they have they have tremendous support from both the board and the national, the staff of the national organization. Mm-hmm. And they both basically work on all the same types of things that we work on. They're very interested in civil rights. I believe that several of them are on the civil rights trip. Um, they've done an- online cooking classes. They've done a panel with the uh, Black Women's Voices. They've done a screening of our new film. We have a new film called Stranger Sister, which is a documentary which documents the founding of the organization and the importance of it. Is that on the website? I'm a pretty tough critic of of films. And I have to say, this one is a really good one. You really get to see close up and personally how people connect with each other. Yes, I'm sure it's on the website. I think that, you know what, I think I did see it. They interviewed some members at, uh, a couple of the homes, I think. Yeah, we, and yep. we're actually doing a rollout right now of the mm-hmm. film. We can get back to you with more information on that. Okay. But the film is available for screenings across the country in our chapters and in other venues. I know it's at a bunch of different film festivals. In fact, the New Jersey Jewish Film Festival is featuring it this month, mm-hmm. I think on March 17th, but don't hold me to that. But I was talking about the teens. So they've mm-hmm. seen that they've seen that movie and they've done a bunch of service projects in their local communities. I mean, one of the things that both adult and teen chapters do is service projects. 
Uh-huh. My chapter here in Tucson is busily doing a hygiene project right now that we're distributing to refugees in time for Ramadan, which starts at the beginning of April, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they pretty much mirror the activities of the adult chapters. But the thing is, is that we're getting to them earlier. Yes. And, and that creates social change in a profound way. We are unfortunately out of time. I am going to put links to the website, obviously, on my page and send that out to people uh, when we do some of the promotion. Is there anything else you'd like us to know at this point? Before we have to go, I I don't I can't think of anything other than that working towards peace and love between different parts of our big human family is such an important thing to do. And whatever way your listeners do it, they should feel good about themselves and they should keep doing that. We have so much but much more in common with one another than the Correct. differences. And I I don't know why we continue to focus on all the differences. But thank you so much, Roberta, for your time. It's really been great. And thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about this wonderful organization. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes. Or, better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.